Hello and welcome to Can't Find My Way Home, the podcast where expats from around the globe talk about the music and art scene in their adopted home. I'm your host, Craig. On the first episode back after our summer break, I was joined by Justin Jardine. Justin talks us through his expat journey from Wisconsin to Hamburg, via Freiburg and Vienna. We also dig deep into his musical exploits along the way. Discovering guitars and distortion at an early age, Justin really got into the thriving punk scene at home. We talk DIY, under the radar and pop-up gigs. And Justin describes how it helped him become more politically and socially aware and how this also led to his musical taste changing over time. Moving abroad opened up a whole new avenue of opportunities and possibilities. Who knew that there was a bluegrass scene in Hamburg? Justin tells us all about it as well as his main project, Raindance Kid. We talk differences in playing in a band as an expat and playing in one at home, putting shows together and touring, and how he got into playing pedal steel guitar. There's Opera Houses, The Lemonheads, Sturgill Simpson's Weird Synth Player, and just why has Justin been in so many bands with Kid in the name? You'll also hear a track from Raindance Kid at the end of the episode, so gotta stick around for that. Without further ado, here's Justin Jadding. Joining me today is Justin Jardine. Yeah, thanks for having me. Today we're going to have a look at uh, your expat story and also we're going to get into some of this great music that you've been making and have made in the past. How about you tell us about yourself? Well, I grew up in Wisconsin in the US, that's where I was born and raised. And I yeah, started playing music when I was about 10, got my first guitar, joined my first band. Well, I should say I played my first show when I was about 14, something like that. Yeah, played in some more bands through my early 20s, and then I moved to Germany. Studied abroad first in Freiburg in the south, and after that, I moved to Vienna, did some English teaching. Yeah, now I'm back in Germany, up in Hamburg. Been here for about five years. The the whole kind of German connection, I guess this is what people are always kind of asking. So how did you end up where you are today? But for you, it was... You did it through university, a year study abroad? Yeah. Well, that was the first time that I moved here. I guess the whole reason is kind of tied into music as well, in keeping with, I guess, the theme of this podcast. I was playing in a band in, well, I guess that would have been middle school, because in high school, we had to pick a language to study. And my high school had German, had French, had Spanish. And I think they had Japanese as well as like distance learning. We were driving to a concert out of town somewhere. And one of our friends was riding with us. He was a year older, so already in high school. And he just told us to uh, to take German because the teacher was funny. There's there's no other reason than that. Just that <laughs> It's a bit abstract, but it'll do, yeah. Yeah, and I honestly hadn't given given it any thought, really, what language I would take. I didn't have any special connection to German or to anything, really. So I just took German because he said the teacher was cool, and she was. I think she taught us kind of a lot of bullshit, but she was... Uh, but she, she was quite good at that. She was definitely funny. And so it's kind of funny. It's kind of surreal to think that, you know, he just kind of made this offhand comment about how we should take German for pretty trivial reason. And here I've been living in German speaking countries for almost 10 years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That would have happened if he would have said to take Spanish or if he said the teacher wasn't cool. 
Definitely. It's a sliding doors moment, yeah, when it's, uh, you, you pick this way or that way and wait and see how it goes. Maybe we get a little bit more into your music then. So how did you start? How, you, you were saying you were 14 when you played your first show? Yeah, I did say that. Now that I think of it, that's not true. That was, <laughs> I played a couple talent shows before that. Um, okay. So maybe I was like 12. But, but you picked up the guitar pretty young then, yeah? From Yeah, I started playing when I was 10. In my house, we had one of those, like, I don't even know what they're called, those like electric organs with all the buttons and stuff. I would play songs with my mom who like knew a couple songs on that organ. Heart and Soul, I guess, is the is the one everybody knows. So I guess like I kind of had music in me already. I mean, we weren't playing in any serious way on the organ. And my mom's not a musician. She just knows a couple things. But... I went to my cousin's and he he got an electric guitar and asked me if I wanted to try it out. And so I plugged it in and it was my first time ever touching an electric guitar and, and like kind of seeing how, you know, what it's like to play with distortion, I guess, really. <laughs> I was 10 years old and you'd be like, oh yeah, a lot of distortion. What is this? <laughs> and um, yeah, and then so I, I begged my parents to get me a guitar for Christmas or my birthday or one of those things. Does Wisconsin have a thriving music scene? Is it a, was there a lot of bar activities for you to go and play in? Um, yeah, but I got into punk music when I was a teenager around the time I started playing those first shows. So the band I was in, we started, um, you know, we started off with like Nirvana covers and stuff like that. And then eventually migrated towards more punk music. I guess some people might call Nirvana punk, but, um, punk in a more conventional sense of the word, yeah. right? And, uh, yeah. Like this is kind of more like DIY ethic of, of, of punk music, which of course was better out at as well. But yeah, so Wisconsin or Madison is the city. It's the capital. It's also where I I grew up right outside of Madison. They had a punk scene, and and we somehow got involved with that. I think that's kind of the thing with punk music. You can just kind of you just kind of throw concerts anywhere. So there are all sorts of basements, warehouses, just uh, kind of makeshift venues all around town that would open up and then inevitably get shut down by the cops or the fire department or whatever. Evict the people who live there. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely it sounds like a precursor to the whole pop up thing, right? Yeah, yeah, pop up venues basically. So I guess I never really had too much of a problem going to shows because, you know, these like kind of underground DIY shows that didn't take place at bars, they didn't have age limits. And from what I hear, that's not really a thing so much in, well, at least in Madison anymore. I have a lot of friends who are still very active in that scene and it's just super hard for them to find something. So a lot of the shows end up happening at bars because it's the only sustainable venue that you know, that wouldn't cost an arm and a leg to open. Definitely. Which is too bad. And it's also, it's also kind of a shame that, um, that, I mean, it shouldn't just have to be punk music that can be played in the basement somewhere. I mean, you should be able to have any type of music played anywhere. And uh, maybe that's ignorant speaking. Maybe that, uh, maybe that does happen. But my experience in, in Wisconsin anyway, was that these kind of under the radar shows were pretty much always punk and metal, uh, which is cool. I mean, I'm into that. But it can be kind of, can be kind of uh, insular. It's one of these things, though, that they always say, you know, in various magazines or video, or MTV, whenever that was around. But they would always talk about the loyalty or the loyal nature of metal fans and punk fans, right? They were always around, and they were always so. In a lot of ways, this kind of makes sense just by the the very nature of the 
the people themselves and the music? Yeah, well, it's a type of music, I think, that's also tied to like a certain philosophy or ideology. And, and so I guess it would make sense that, that the fans stay loyal to that. I mean, it definitely taught me a lot about, I guess, being mindful or being politically and socially aware. I think at some point, though, I realized that it's not the only music that does that. And I think that's one of the faults of punk music is that it kind of almost claims to be. Yeah, that's an interesting point of view, I think. Uh, but I think you only kind of learn that through your own experiences, though. Yeah, it's also a part of just growing up. And, and I think, you know, one of these things when people talk about, you know, punk music or, or metal, for that matter, it's a bit stereotypical. It's like kind of 95% men, uh, denim patch jackets and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, it gets into the world. It's uniform in, in that genre as there isn't any other. Right. It gets into the world of uh, Bill and Ted's and whatnot and all sorts of stereotypical stuff and all that. And what was your next step then musically when you, you went to college and. Yeah, I went to college. I got out of the band. I was actually kicked out of the band that I started <laughs> in, uh, in middle school. I was kicked out of it when I was like 17, which really kind of hurt. Because we were kind of doing some stuff, like we 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 started going on tour around the Midwest and the U.S. and the East Coast when we were like sixteen or seventeen, and I mean, like the people in our in our local community, like they they liked us, they thought we were good, and I guess we were pretty good. But um, yeah, just getting kicked out kind of sucked. But in hindsight, it ended up being a really good thing because. I think those people that I was playing with in that band, I was I was pretty impressionable, I think. I think I was also kind of afraid of, of what they thought of me. And, um, and, it, and if I were to listen to anything that wasn't like hardcore punk and metal and grindcore and stuff like that, I'd probably get made of and I just wasn't ready to handle that. So after I got kicked out of the band, I moved up a couple hours north to a city called Appleton. Went there for my first year of college. And I lived in a house, a punk house called the BFG with a bunch of musicians, super open-minded musicians who play in, in, in bands that, uh, yeah, some of them got kind of popular. Uh, Tenement would be one band. Dusk is a band uh, that's still going on right now that uh, some of them are in. And so I just learned a bunch, of, a, a bunch of new music living there. So that led me to, I guess my next phase in music was probably more like kind of 90s alternative music. So I got to know bands like the Lemonheads, I was just listening to them yesterday, funnily yeah. enough, right? They're still one of my favorite bands. I love it. Great jangly guitars, man. Yeah, it's super good. I used to just play along to full albums. Yeah, so stuff like that, and Dinosaur Jr., and uh, Sugar, which is um, Bob Mould's band from Who's Could Do. Yeah, right. So I got into that stuff next. That was cool because it, it, you know, it, it was kind of raw. It had, you know, it didn't feel too far from punk, but they were also kind of way better at their instruments which was more interesting for me as a guitar player that that's also fun to play. Yeah. I mean, musically it was adding maybe a different dynamic to your own playing as well. Yeah. It was, it was a gateway to, I guess, other types of music that, that have more complicated, more complicated playing, I guess, moving from power chords to, to normal chords. And then from there you, know, you can get real jazzy. And at this point, you, you know, were you recording some stuff as well? Was it more of a, a live scene or did you get into the recording side of things as well? Yeah, that's around the time that I that I had my first studio experience, I think. The band that I joined, <laughs> the band that I joined moving when I moved there was coincidentally another kid band, Harlequin Kid. And this is uncanny, Justin. It's, 
<laughs> I, can, I can connect the dots on that in a second. That was uh, that was the first band I went to a studio with. With my band in high school that I got kicked out of, we did some some demos in the basement and released a couple cassettes. But my first real like studio recording experience was was with this band Harlequin Kid. Yeah, and the story in that is, yeah, we called ourselves Harlequin Kid. Then I moved away to to study abroad in Germany after a year or, some, or maybe two years with that band. And, and they kind of made the joke, you know, while you're gone, we'll keep on playing shows, but we'll just play everything super slow, like a stoner band, and we'll call it Green Kid. <laughs> and of course, they never did that. And I was thinking, oh, that's kind of a cool name, actually. So I took it for my for my uh, solo thing. So there is a direct through line between Harlequin Kid and Green Kid. Uh, but Rain Dance Kid is just a total coincidence. Uh, w- would you say, though, you met a, a lot of like-minded people at this point, you know, when you'd moved on to the new things? Oh, no, I was just going to say that some of those guys are still some of my best friends. And, you know, I really enjoy hearing the different music they, they put out. I mean, these are people who play in, who've played in, like, punk and hardcore bands but also have released soul and country records so yeah just really inspiring people well that's really cool but you were saying that it was time to move abroad and what happened musically did you leave your gear at home or did you pick up an acoustic when you were away or did it just kind of go on a you know to use that friends line it's like you were on a break yeah i was on a break in the sense that i was too broke or at least too cheap to um to buy a guitar when I was there. I had a couple of friends who had guitars and every time I'd see them, I'd always, I'd always play. But thinking back, I don't know how I did that. I don't know why I didn't just get a guitar for 50 bucks or whatever. About halfway through the year, I did meet an older guy named Georg, who I'm still good friends with to this day. He has a, like a Beatles guitar collection. Obviously not the actual guitars that they played, but he collected the exact models that they played. That they uh, that they played. So like Epiphone casinos and yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Rickenbackers and whatnot. He has I don't even know how many guitars. Yeah, you'd spend an interesting afternoon at his house, I think. Definitely. Which leads us on nicely then maybe to the to the the, the music connection again. What what have you been doing musically in your time in Hamburg? Yeah, so just before I moved to Hamburg, I started listening to kind of more folk and in country and bluegrass and stuff like that. And that, I know it sounds like I'm, I'm getting off track. I, it'll it'll come back around to Hamburg, I swear. But uh, Yeah, yeah. It's uh, all good, man. So when I was younger, when I was in high school, I, I worked at this theater in in, uh, in this town called Stoughton. It was called the Stoughton Opera House, which is which is not an actual opera. I mean, at some point they probably did opera, but it, there wasn't really any opera going on. It was just called. <laughs> um, just a bit of a grand name. Yeah, and around that time, it was kind of experiencing a renaissance. And all these really good musicians, like bluegrass and folk musicians, would come through. And I would work all these concerts and see them. But I had no idea who they were because I, I wasn't plugged into that scene. I didn't know who the big names were. And frankly, I just didn't really care. And so around 2014, just before moving to Hamburg, maybe about a half a year, or maybe a year before moving to Hamburg, I wanted to hear something new, so I decided to to check out some of those musicians that came through that I, you know, theoretically had the chance to meet and, and work for and all this stuff, but wasn't paying attention. Yeah, the first person I listened to was Gillian Welch, and specifically the song called Time the Re- Revelator, a live version on YouTube, I think live at Cambridge or something like that. And it's just two people. It's just Gillian Welch and Dave Rawlings. They both play guitar and both sing. And it just built this beautiful arc it's about seven or eight minutes long, and it crescendos into this huge explosion where Dave Rawlings just starts 
pounding away on his on his acoustic guitar. It was the punkest thing I've ever heard. It was insane. And uh, and so from there I was hooked, and I started listening to to more like I said, folk and bluegrass music, stuff like that in country. And so when I moved to Hamburg, I got in touch with some musicians because I was looking for a place to live and I thought it'd be kind of fun to live with other musicians. So right. Kind of, what, what could go wrong? <laughs> I, you know, I posted in some Facebook groups and got in touch with some people. And eventually uh, somebody told me about the bluegrass scene in Hamburg. There's a, there's a bluegrass session that goes on every month. Um, not anymore, obviously, I should say. We're on a break from that right now. Yeah, so I started going to that pretty much right away. And that was the first time I really played bluegrass music with people. So I learned a lot doing that. And and so basically, I started playing with people as soon as I moved here. And that's also how I met a lot of people. That's usually how music works. Hey, you find like-minded souls through open mic nights or by chance maybe even you know it's uh yeah and it's it's such a like bluegrass specifically is such a good genre of music to play with other people because you don't have to know the songs they all have a similar structure basically just use three chords g c and d in some order and you alternate between a verse and a chorus and so you can you can just play along it doesn't matter if you've heard the song before i meant this did you see the the studio simpson concert that he put out a month ago maybe from the Ryman no I didn't Jason Isbell did one maybe the month before that as well uh he did it with his wife Amanda Shire so she was playing the fiddle and yeah and he was uh playing songs from his new album but Sturgill Simpson basically did it with a bluegrass band crazy it's definitely it's definitely worth checking out it was, it was awesome it was great and of course there's no one in the audience right so it's all that you can see little screens around the top of this the main screen where people are watching. Was it just like some pickup band or? No, I think I think these were like real, real cats. You know, <laughs> they were all. I can't remember offhand who they were, but they were yeah, pretty good. I'll have to check that out. It sounds interesting. I didn't really start listening to Sturgill Simpson until recently. I still don't know a lot of his stuff. Yeah, I went to his show in Hamburg. When was that? Like December or something? Yeah, it was. It was good, just not what any of us expected. Was he a bit more rock and roll? Yeah, like, I mean, it was definitely harder, and he didn't do a lot of singing. It was a lot of, like, guitar jammy stuff, which sounded cool, you know, but we we went kind of open to hear his signature, <laughs> right, his yeah. signature voice, and, and he was singing. And there was this weird synth player, which I wasn't a huge fan of, but... Yeah, I mean, he's a really kind of uh, versatile guy. He's... I need to listen to more of him. I, I don't really know his back catalog or anything. I'm still pretty new to The Simpson. What would you say that some of the differences playing in a band as an expat than there are in your time playing in a band at home? I'm not sure if this is a huge kind of like expat versus US musician difference, but it might just be have more to do with living in a big city versus living in like a medium-sized city. But mm. like back in Wisconsin, we'd always just have band practice in the basement. But here, like everybody lives in apartment buildings, there is no basement. And so, you know, we have a rehearsal space, which was kind of a new concept to me. I've never paid rent for, for a rehearsal space before. We just went down to the basement and played. That's the biggest difference I can really think of. People here are, are maybe more hospitable to touring bands. You always get something to eat, for example, but... You get fed in water, eh? Yeah, but I mean, I guess I always had pretty good experiences in the U.S., with that, I never really felt like we were starving. Yeah, we should say, because we, we met, it was either November or December, when your band, Rain Dance Club, were playing in Dortmund. I think that was October. 
Oh, was I? It was dark. I remember that much. <laughs> it was, I was close enough. <laughs> and yeah. just speaking of that, you you were doing like a tour at that time. So are, are gigs quite easy to come by? I mean, I'm pretty sure now things have changed. But I mean, in the if we talk in the past tense, what's it like trying to put shows together? And it comes the easiest if you have a personal connection to the people who are booking the shows. And I say that as both a musician and and a promoter, because I do some booking as well. I don't know, like, I think our singer who, who booked the majority of the tour, or at least a lot of it, um, probably sent out 200 emails, maybe got back three replies. Jesus. <laughs> to get in touch with, with people if you don't know them, because, and I always thought that was stupid. I didn't know why that was, but then... I started doing a bit of booking somewhere and they gave me, they gave me access to the email and I saw we'd be getting like 10 requests per day and you just can't keep up on that. Can't listen to them all. And you, I mean, I guess you, you could probably reply to them all, but, but that's a part-time job in and of itself. So it started to make sense, but that doesn't make it any less frustrating. No, definitely. The Sub Rosa gig in Dortmund where we met, that happened because our acoustic guitar player, I think, knew the guy somehow. And there were maybe three or four other shows on that tour that were put together because there's a there's a label in, in Oberhausen called Cozy Records and and we did a song that ended up on a soundtrack for a film that they put out. And so they've always been really, really nice to us and they helped us out with a bunch of shows there. That happened because we knew somebody. Right. I was going to say it's hard. It sounds quite difficult to get your, your foot in the door somewhere if you're not really, you don't know anyone. It's uh, and like you were saying, if they have all these emails coming in with numerous requests, it's probably just a case of the bookers is now you've experienced yourself. It's them sticking to maybe what they know or who they know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the other thing is we don't really, we're not really part of a subculture, this, this band. We haven't really found a scene, I guess, that we that we fit in. Playing in a punk band, you'll find all sorts of people who who just want to see a punk band. They kind of know it's going to be more or less like this, and there's going to be a lot of energy, and, and it's pretty reliable almost. I think people who listen to punk music are also a bit more proactive about making sure that shows happen, and that there's a place for them to happen. And so maybe that's another reason why it's, it's, it's easier, or it seems easier anyway, to get shows as a punk band. But playing the type of music that that we play it's it's hard because people have to take a chance on us people have to invest invest maybe a little bit more in in the experience which leads us up to a really nice segue there uh, justin because the band raindance kid how would you describe yourselves what's the what's the elevator pitch then since we're in that kind of uh, that zone we used to say that we were post folk you know we play music with we have a banjo player which i guess is how the folk thing comes into play but but i really don't think we're we're a folk band so that didn't really that didn't really seem to fit on that tour last october where we met somebody described us as country noir which i thought sounded really cool so, <laughs> so that's what we're going with right now excellent <laughs> all right that's that's not bad at all but yeah i was really um I got to the gig, maybe you'd started five or ten minutes, so I came in and it was quite a quite a full house that, that night in Dortmund. Yeah, there was a re- reasonable crowd. That was some sort of like event series that happened like every Friday or once a month or something like that. 
and they said that that was uh, the largest turnout they've had, which was definitely had nothing to do with us because nobody knows who we are. But but yeah, we got lucky. <laughs> that was a fun night. That was a fun night, and it was as I was as I was just about to say the 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 sound of the band. I, I never really like putting bands in boxes, but it's a way of letting other people know what you are or how you sound like, or to give them an idea, right? And it's people don't like being pigeonholed in these kind of certain things. But when you take these elements, because we could talk about, I actually couldn't see you on the stage. I could I could see the drummer and I could see the the front man was wearing a very big hat. I remember that. Yeah. With his banjo, with a, with that the banjo, they're kind of hard to miss. And I think you were you were at the side. I, I forget what side, but you were at the side of the stage. You were actually playing guitar, but you were playing something as well. Excuse me, you were playing something else as well. How did that come about? What what was your other instruments? That was a pedal steel. I started playing that three or four years ago. I want to say three, because then if I say four, I should be better than I am. But um, <laughs> so we'll say three and. Yeah, that's um, that's an instrument that you hear a lot in country music. Definitely, um, yeah. It has kind of that twangy sound. It's essentially a slide guitar with pedals, with which you can kind of modulate the notes and and gives you these really fluid transitions from one note to another. It's kind of an instrument that's used to to emulate the the human voice in a way. Um, and there's different kind of kind of ways to play it. So there's there's the typical like, country sound that, that we all hear, but there's also a type of pedal steel playing called, what's it called? Southern steel. It's a type of, of playing that's that's played in, like in churches in the South. And it's in, in kind of, have, it sounds like a really, sounds like a soul singer. It's, it's, it's beautiful. What was it got you hooked on that? Because it's, yeah, you don't see many of them around. I mean, sadly, I mean, I guess unless you live in Nashville or something, right? It's uh... <laughs> Yeah, well, it's still... It's still a very small community, and even the the most popular pedal steel players, most people wouldn't know them. And even the most successful, like they're accessible. You could email them, and they would respond for the most part. Yeah, so it's it's a really small community, uh, but also very supportive. There are different forums and, and message boards. Yeah, and, and people don't really seem to be competitive. Okay, so it's definitely more of a yeah, it's definitely more of a sharing community than a because yeah. guitar players are maybe not known. I think just between us, guitar players are not really known for their sharing and uh, kind of nature, are they? You know? It's it's. I mean, it, like if if there's another pedal, if there are two pedal steel players in a room, like they're gonna start talking to each other because that's it's a thing that not a lot of people do. Whereas if two guitar players in a room, I mean, it, it's it's not interesting. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I think your question was how I got started with that. I don't even know what what made me buy a pedal steel. I mean, was it quite easy to pick one up? I know that might sound a bit of a naive question, but did you buy it from Toman or something like that, or from a music no. store? No, you can here in Germany anyway. You can pretty much only get them used. There's one company called WBS uh, that still makes them, and there used to be a company called. ABM, which is a subsidiary of Framus, I want to say, but they're not around anymore. But yeah, my first pedal steel was this ABM. I got it on eBay, like seven or eight hundred bucks, which is pretty cheap for steel. Like they're not, like it's a it's a pretty high entry price, unfortunately. Mm. But I found one in the area, and it was also what I was about willing to spend for my first my first pedal steel. I wasn't going to go out and spend two grand right away. Yeah, and I found one in the area. I went and picked it up, and yeah, found out kind of the things that work for me, the things that don't. Kind of, there's all sorts of different 
different setups as well, different configurations for how many pedals you have, how many knee levers you have, which strings they they bend. And so I kind of figured out what what worked for me and ended up moving up to a different one. How did your bandmates take to it? Were they uh, quite enthusiastic about the idea of you getting into this new line of playing? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I think they were interested in the opportunities that it opened up. And, and you know, obviously I've worked it into the band. I play it uh, on a few songs, but I'm also the one in the band who listens to the most country. Like our singer plays banjo, but he actually doesn't really listen to any any bluegrass or country music or anything like that so i always run always run the risk of of kind of overdoing it with uh with my country and folk influences i think the pedal still is definitely added to the band i don't think i've overdone it i don't remember how many songs it was on i mean you, you'll know exactly but yeah it, it, it was a nice balance it wasn't definitely it was a nice mix that night you know you knew it was there but i couldn't see you so i was like i was like okay where's this coming from yeah it was uh, a, a, a little subtle undertone yeah, maybe that's a. <laughs> I'll, uh, yeah, I'll go with that. I was gonna say um, that probably has something to do with uh, my capabilities as well. Um, it's subtle. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean that in a complimentary way. <laughs> yeah, <it took> a <laughs> Most definitely. Yeah, I was gonna say. I don't. I didn't mean that in a kind of shitty way. Sorry. Maybe this is a, a chance where we can uh, we, we can have a, a listen to one of the the songs from Rindan's Kid. Yeah, this song is called Letter to David. It's off our album Swear, which came out about two years ago, two and a half years ago. Yeah, you can find it on Spotify. You can order it from the internet somewhere. Yeah, it's a fun song. songs of blasphemy My horror's voice moan while your sweet lips sigh If I had the choice I'd choose for against void But for you Struggle with pain 
as well And may you reach the great beyond long before the devil knows you're gone Although I don't know his will I'm sure Before we wrap it up, can we just talk about Raindance Kid and where we can find more about the band? Yeah, we're on Instagram and Facebook and we have a website. I'm sure your listeners are resourceful, could find it. But I also looked up the links just to be sure. The Instagram is, yeah, Raindance underscore kid. And the Facebook is just Raindance Kid, no space, no underscore, one word. Excellent. Great band. Thoroughly enjoyed the gig. Hopefully we get a chance to... Meet up and face-to-face and uh, you get to play all over again. Yeah, that'll be fun. Justin, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks Thanks for taking the time. All the best with uh, all the future projects. (laughs) Thanks. Cheers. Cheers, Craig. You made it to the end of another episode of Can't Find My Way Home. Big thanks to Justin. I had a really great time talking about, well, a myriad of things. A very, we had a really in-depth conversation and uh, what you're hearing is the the edited highlight, shall we say. But there's a couple of more clips coming up in the week. We have his top five, of course. This is what you really want to find out, though, isn't it? Where can you follow Can't Find My Way Home? You can find us on Anchor at anchor.fm. Simply search for Can't Find My Way Home on Instagram. We are under can't.findmywayhome. 
Facebook at Expat Music Pod, all one word. Of course, you can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts from, you'll no doubt find us there. <laughs>